Welcome to Iteration, a weekly podcast about programming, development, and design through the lens of amazing books, chapter by chapter. Except this week, we aren't actually going to be talking through a book. We actually just wrapped up the book Refactoring, so that was really great to have you guys all on board through that journey. And we're going to be starting up our next book, Extreme Programming, in just about a week or so. But between these books, we're going to do a special episode here. We're going to be talking about getting a job in tech, kind of career development, personal development, landing a job at a great company or landing great development clients if you're a freelancer. So that's kind of the discussion today. Um, so to kick things off, we just want to do some introductions. We are joined as always by the great JP as co-host. And we also have uh, John Anthony Rivera, who is a developer who's going to be joining us for this conversation today, which is going to be awesome. So I'll kind of kick things off real quick and just kind of say who I am and what I do, kind of update where I'm at. So my name is John and I run a small remote development firm. We are an agency, a small team of developers who develop mobile apps and web apps for startups. So that's kind of what I do day to day. And uh, who, who are you guys? Who else is joining me in this conversation? So I'm JP. I work at a real estate startup called Open Door. I'm an engineer on the team that we call Visits. So what the Visits team does is we focus on the visits portion of the buyer's journey, what that means is when people want to purchase homes, oftentimes they'll visit them first. And so in a nutshell, without getting too too deep into the domain, that is the team that I work on. Cool. And But that's generally day-to-day -day you work developing a mobile oh, app. Right. Like that's what you work in. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just so we've got that. And what about you, John? Welcome to the hey, show. I'm John. I work at a company. I don't know if you heard of it. It's called called Amazon. Uh, they do, <laughs> oh, yeah, they, okay. they do e-commerce stuff, kind of. but they also do other things. They're a startup. Yeah, they also do other things too. Uh, I'm on the, the photos team, more specifically the prints team. So you have all your photos on Amazon and you can custom order like a tabletop print or um, a canvas, something for the wall. And hook that up. So it's it's basically a, a way to experience your your memories and in, in in physical form through the service. And I work on the mobile development part. So I'm doing day to day a lot of React Native work. I just started two weeks ago. So the day what the day to day looks like for that job is uh, <laughs> is still a little. It's still settling. <laughs> That's awesome. And that's why, honestly, what kind of led to this discussion is I saw your post on Instagram, John, you were kind of like saying like, man, starting at Amazon today, this was a couple of weeks ago when you posted it, and you were kind of reflecting on your career and your journey you've been through. And I've known you for quite some yes. time now when you first started in tech. And it was just super inspiring to see that and realizing like, fuck, man, John starting at Amazon. That's so crazy to think about where we were just not even three, four years ago in our careers, even yeah. respectively, and to see you just as a rocket ship. And I'm like, this is a good topic to have as just a round table between books, just like where we started and how we got where we're at in our different careers and just try to encourage people to work on their own personal careers and career development. Because I know there's a ton of developers listening to this who would love to work at a company like Open Door, work at a company like Amazon as a developer, like you, you guys yourselves. So let's kind of talk about origin stories a little bit. Like how did we all start? start and how do we all get in this world of tech uh what about you jp let's start with yeah you. this is this is this is an interesting one because all three of us have non-traditional background when i say non-traditional i mean none of us have a, a computer science degree mm -hmm. um i i have an right. art degree from uc irvine which e even in the art world doesn't really mean mean much i don't think that that holds much weight <laughs> so this is a cool one yeah so yeah uh i, th I think where where my origin story starts really is 
is MySpace layouts back in like back in like ninth grade. And, you know, everyone says like they used to code HTML in their MySpace <laughs> layouts to, you know, some CSS. <laughs> However, I will say that my MySpace layouts were pretty kick ass because I would do this thing where I would basically take over the MySpace layout page with a bunch of tables and stuff. And then basically like design my own thing and then put that on top of what the MySpace layout page was. So it wasn't just it wasn't just your average CSS making some text bold, making some text blue and green. You know, it was some next level shit. If I do say so myself, it wasn't, you know, damn, you got to hook up my profile. <laughs> yeah. Me, bro. And, uh, you know, I even had like, you know how you had that really shitty music player that was like black and green and silver. See, yeah, yeah. For I sure. hid mine so that music would play whenever. And you couldn't tell. And so that's, I, I think that is really where I started my career as a front end developer. And I was doing a bunch of design stuff, as I had mentioned, like I would like just Photoshop this like crazy looking embarrassing thing now that I look back at it. And then, yeah, that's sort of where I was. But then I went to school for art so that I could be like a graphic designer. But I guess I've always done like front end work. And, and that's sort of really, I think, where I started. I didn't really start, I guess, like actually programming and learning some like computer science-y things until WizTutor, which we've talked about at length on this very podcast. <laughs> but I think what really, what really got my start was talking to you, John S., John S., because you had said you had, you had basically broke down the tech stack of like Ruby on Rails when we were talking about WizTutor. Me talking to you mm. as a designer giving you these mocks and I was just like how do you like how do you make all this stuff like work and then you gave me like the <laughs> the the elevator pitch on Ruby on Rails and I was like man that's cool like I want to I want to start doing more of that stuff again um and that's sort of really where I just like started reading more books looking on looking at things online and then here I am today uh four four years later or whatever it is but I didn't do boot camp I didn't I didn't take any computer science classes in college I know a lot of people have like a comp sci minor but I guess I got my start really just from like reading books and and reading tutorials online and watching video courses. So yeah, that's like, I guess that's my origin story in a nutshell. Yeah, super cool. Thanks for sharing. Uh, my origin story, it's kind of fun because all of our origin stories intersect yeah, a little bit totally when do. we first met. Because we <laughs> all three worked on WizTutor and we all three don't have a traditional computer science background. So that's really interesting that like we had that initial thing three or four years ago and now all, all of our careers have of course gone in different directions from that project. My origin story, I... You know, I've always kind of dabbled in design and web stuff pretty much forever. I remember like through high school and college, I was really into the bands and music scenes. And so I would do a lot of album covers and like skateboard designs for a couple little regional companies and all types of little graphic design stuff. And when you do graphic design, it's inevitable that people think you can do websites because it's like, oh, well, you can do design so you can do our website. And so I was just like, sure, whatever, I'll figure it out. And this was back on Squarespace 3 and now they're on like Squarespace 5 and like really old school versions of WordPress. I was doing band websites and MySpace layouts and all kinds of stuff like that, kind of forever, always as a side job. I never really took it that seriously, never really saw a career opportunity there. I was really interested in entrepreneurship and business. That's more of what I studied in college. I actually dropped out because I got a decent job in the kind of corporate world. And I was doing really well in the corporate world, still kind of dabbling in web design and stuff on the side. When I was about 25 years old, I was kind of halfway through my corporate career, it was going really well, but I was like, okay, best case scenario in this corporate thing, I end up as some VP somewhere working 50 hours a week, 
and I don't really love this work that I'm doing. And I was really experiencing a lot of burnout and just trying to like assess my career, kind of a midlife crisis at 25, if you will. And I really thought about like what I really love doing. And it was always related to design and web, but it was really the intersection of business design and web. Like I always loved entrepreneurship and the idea of starting a company. And I love that the compounding effect that tech can have in it. And I was seeing that kind of in the corporate world. And really it was like at that time, 2015, to me, it was when I first started becoming aware of this idea of a tech startup and things like YC and what that can do and, you know, getting these funds and getting an app and like building something bigger than yourself. And I found it incredibly inspiring. So I really stepped back from that corporate job. I did General Assembly boot camp to kind of up my development skills because I could kind of build a website, but I didn't really understand backend stuff. And I really struggled web development a lot. Like I was with PHP and Python and I really never found my niche. I was trying with WordPress to push it way too far and it just wasn't working. And then through GA, I found really just before GA, I found Ruby on Rails. And to me, it like was such a fit for the type of work I was trying to do, which is like, I want to be able to build these platforms that can do shit. And I want to be able to do it quick and have it very maintainable and a very pragmatic approach because I've always been interested in tech so much it serves art and business. I'm not really that interested in tech for tech itself. I've never been one of those people. Long story short is it around 25, I switched careers. I started doing independent development in Ruby on Rails and I was kind of getting small clients here and there doing like databases for nonprofits, nothing that interesting or inspiring. And I actually, at a startup weekend, met this guy, Justin, who introduced me to JP, who's on this call, who pitched this idea of WizTutor. And we really went deep and built that together. And that was really trial by fire. So I had a little bit of experience building small web apps and MVPs, but that was the first real product that I was able to really own the tech stack of and really develop in a way and really start to understand how these pieces connect and like what really impacts a business and gets it up and running. So that's kind of my quick origin story. And it's just super fun that we all kind of come together at WizTutor. So John Anthony, like, tell me at what point did that happen for you? And what's kind of your origin story? Where'd you start and how did you get into tech? Like, where do we all intersect in this? Yeah. So, um, just, just want to say like the, the whole intersection thing is a really interesting point. And I think it also is a good, a good example of how important it is to like network and support other people and talk with them and, you know, give, give them a hand up, you know, when, when they need it, or just, you know, ask them to give you a hand up in, in, in my case. But I'll, I'll go into the origin story now. So I've I've always been a bit of a nerd. Like just when I was a kid, I was a total total fucking nerd. Like all that's the all way. of us here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like did my own like Arduino electronic projects and wow. was like tweaking with like Linux kernels and all all sorts of crazy stuff. But I never thought that it would be my career. I never, for some reason, in my in my like seventeen, eighteen year old brain, it was just like. I'm going to do something else. I have no idea what I'm going to do. But I, at some point, I, I got into a really hard spot where I basically like, had, to, had to move out on my own. My old partner's friends or my grandmother was able to like, take me in. And I, I, you know, only, I only had to pay like 200 for rent. And I had like no money. I just had a car. And from that point, I, I, just, I just tried to get a job. And I started working at Albertsons, started working at U-Haul, making minimum wage in California. And I started reading up on this this thing called the the boot camp, and I kind of became fascinated by it, a little bit obsessed. Every night I would just 
for hours and hours. I would just read about it on the phone, all the different types of programs. There are these online ones. There are these, these boot camp programs that cost $20,000 in San Francisco. You know, there's just all these crazy different ones. But I ended up settling on this, this one called Learn by the Flatiron School, where I got to learn Ruby on Rails, JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. And I think that's the, the gist of it. So did that and go out. I am ready to, to, to you know, snag my job, so to speak. <laughs> right. This, these magical jobs that are just going to be there ripe for the plucking when you graduate from boot camps. You know, they, they, they tell you, like, you can get a job at Google now, <laughs> which yeah, in I retros- see those ads on Instagram that way oversell boot camps. It's like three month program, pay monthly, nothing up front, get a job at Apple. I'm just like, ooh, if only it was that easy. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I, I go and I apply to this, like, in retrospect, this really weird startup. I think they're, not, I'm not going to name names, but like they had like ping pong tables and like the, they had a whole like Zen garden and all this, all this <laughs> stuff. Pods. Yeah. And I, I just, I just go in there and I, they, I think they had said like, they, they, they had, the recruiter had said like, would 80,000 be good for you? And I was like, that's more money than I've ever thought of making in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't end up getting the job. I, I completely bombed the interview. Uh, no, nobody else would really even take me further in the interview process. I just, I, I was very green. I just didn't have the, the experience. I didn't have the algorithms and data structures experience. I, it just, it just wasn't there. So the boot camp alone, although it was a great catalyst, it wasn't enough to really get me going all the way, you know, to get a, get a job at Apple or Google. So I, I networked a lot. I, I ended up meeting uh, these these two people. I think I think it was John Jacob. That's me. John Salzarulo um, at a startup next. It was in. It was in Santa Clarita, right? At startup next. It was on a Thursday night at uh, Carbon Five meetup. Carbon I think Five. The first time we ever met. Yeah, it, and it was a it was in Santa Monica. Santa Monica Carbon and Five. Yep. So just just for reference, I lived like. More than a so hundred miles away. away from there, but I, <laughs> I drove there because I I really really wanted to to network and you know meet people, and so I ended up talking with John and um I, th- I thought we I thought we kicked it off pretty well hit it off pretty totally. well absolutely so I I did a bit of a a bit of a sneaky thing is uh, after you told me about Wiz Tutor and everything I went ahead I messaged I messaged Justin <laughs> Justin Clark from awesome. Wiz Tutor I love it. And you, you know what you know what I told him is I told him I, I knew I knew John Salzarillo <laughs> and I I want in I want in I want to do some development work for you like give me give me some work <laughs> and I started started doing that uh, for for a little bit I did I did the I, I bluffed I, I I told him that I I would build him this mobile app <laughs> I had never built a mobile app before just just for retrospect I was like. How hard can this be? I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and write your app. Yeah, three thousand dollars. There you go. Um, I'm like, is that really what you charge for the first version of Wiz Tutor? Yeah, three thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> and but what's so what's so cool about that is I want to just point out two things. Like 
First, that you went way outside your comfort zone. You drove a hundred fucking miles to go to a meetup and meet a bunch of strangers in a world that you had never been introduced to. Like that's yeah. the first key there is that you put yourself out there and you said, hey, I'm a developer. I want to do this thing and I'm going to meet people and make this happen. The second thing is when you saw an opening, like you stepped in that door. Like I kind of cracked <laughs> the door and was like, oh, okay, cool. Like it's great you're a dev. Like, yeah, we're looking for some help. And you just like, you saw that crack and you opened it wide open and you you emailed above my head and you went to the founder and said, hey, I want to work with you, which I love, by the way. I would have loved it then. I wouldn't have cared at all. So I think it's the right thing to do. That's how you get traction, how you move things forward. And then the other thing is you you were willing to work early in your career really cheap. I mean, that's basically free. That's 10 times less what I would charge for a mobile app yeah. uh, in today's day and age, of course. But the thing is, is you had an opportunity to not only put a real company on your resume, but work on a real project for money. Like instead of paying to learn something, you were getting paid to learn something. Yeah. And there's a balance and a spectrum on that. Like people take it too far and work for years for free. And there's a whole world where that gets abused. But Absolutely. I think there's some awesome takeaways in that. So, okay, so you pitch Justin, say you're going to build this app of which you've never built an app for $3,000. <laughs> and then kind of where does that take you next in your career? So I, when I, when I was building, I, I was working like a good like 70 hours a week just to, just to try, and, try and get this thing out the door, doing stuff that I had never done before, learning how to use Ionic and do mobile development and learn how to use Android Studio and Xcode. Um, and... It was actually kind of the perfect thing for me to learn at that time because I think about six months later, um, when I applied to a company called Chef Steps, they had a Ionic app called um, called Jewel, the Jewel app, and I in I interviewed there, and it was one of those startups where the honestly the interview pro process could have been a lot more rigorous, so. I <laughs> <laughs> like you're saying you shouldn't have gotten through the cracks? <laughs> Honestly, no. They they should not have hired me. But they I ended up getting through, you know, I just turned on my like I'm I'm an introvert, but I, I learned, especially like when going to all those meetups, to just kind of turn on the turn on the type A switch and, you know, be a people person and, you know, try and be somewhat charismatic. And it, I think it it worked. It worked. Uh, I went ahead and I ended up getting the job and I was just blown away that at the time I think I was making like an average amount for a software engineer in Seattle. But for me, that was again, like more than I had ever thought I well, coming would. Coming from working from, you know, Vons and or Albertsons and U-Haul. I mean, that's just, that's a job that doesn't have a future or it doesn't no. let you have your own life and career. Like that just feels dead end and you feel stuck versus a career that's actually a real career that has a salary that makes sense and you can live in a major city and not struggle and like stress day to day because of money. And yeah. like, it doesn't, I feel like there's no salary at which you never worry about money, but at the same time, like there's a world of difference between $35,000 a year and something over 80 or $90,000 a year. Yeah. Like, a world of difference in just your day-to-day -day life and happiness. And I think it's really important to like hit that point. I mean, there's diminishing returns. Like once you get into six figures, it's like, is it going to make you happier? Like as long as you can survive, right? But um, it depends I think also that on where you live and what the cost of living is. Like, yeah, there's so many things and there's international, like there's so many, th I don't want to like talk about necessarily like money because that's not the part here, but a part of it is like having a career you can own and a lifestyle that's sustainable yeah. and something that you can really own as yourself. So you made it, you actually moved all the way to Seattle to take that job with Chef Steps. Yep. And then from there, kind of where do things go for you? So I actually 
when when I got the job, I, I was I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what semantic versioning was. I didn't I didn't know I didn't know anything really. <laughs> um, and I had this guy who was onboarding me, and you know there were there were a lot of points where he just was like, "You don't know this." <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so. I, I had the 90-day review process, and honestly, I, I shouldn't have made it past that. There was a lot of feedback saying, like, oh, you know, we could see that you're really eager to please and really eager to, to make it, but we, do, we just don't know if this is the right environment for you. I, 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 I was really, really close to just not making it. Man, um, that must have been stressful. It, it, was, it was very, very stressful, um, especially since I had, like, put so much time and I had moved and everything yeah. Um, but at the same time, they were they were completely right. I I had I, I was I, I was very unpolished around the edges. I didn't have a lot of experience. I had this like shiny object syndrome that a lot of new developers have. Mm. Uh, but luckily, I I made it past that. And I guess I guess that's that's the been the theme of my of a lot of my career is just being put in like. Not not quite where I like should be for my skill level, but like a notch above that, where I'm always a little, I'm I'm always under the flame, so to speak. But it's it's been great. I mean, working at Chef Steps, it was incredibly chaotic, but there were also a lot of very very smart and talented people. And in that kind of environment, you either get consumed by the lack of structure. Or you build the structure yourself and you learn how to make it work for you. you know. So then how do you go from Chef Steps to Amazon? How did that transition look for you? So I think what the, the, the nugget of what is important is that in, in Chef Steps, I learned about true product ownership and mm. user and customer empathy. In addition to that, I also learned how to break down tech, look, look at things from a higher level, see things from, you know, the conception to, to implementation and to really just be, be an owner of things and a, a stakeholder and get to really care about the user, understand things from one end to the other. And I think from, from that, in order to do well, you know, you have to have the empathy, you have to have the ability to you know, dive deep and you, you have to have a lot of things in order to do well in that environment if you really care about your job. And luckily, the, those things line up pretty closely with Amazon's, um, you know, le leadership principles. I'm doing the air quotes. Um, <laughs> and luckily, I think there was those kinds of characteristics that intrinsically emerge from being given the opportunity to be an owner of things and caring about a product, those things are the same things that, you know, companies like Amazon really care about. Um, you know, 50% of the interview was, and by the way, this was like the, this was the hardest interview that I had ever done at Amazon. It was, it was rough. It was also great, but it was really rough. 50% of the questions were entirely behavioral. 50%. Wow. It's, it was way more than anything else I had done in any other company. It's all about asking about what I would do in certain scenarios. Give me an example of this and that. And I, I can go into a lot of detail because I did a lot of research into it. But yeah, 50% behavioral. Um, I, I ended up getting laid off from Chef Steps because the company had lost its funding and basically had, until my severance and my savings, 
depleted to get another job. So I got my copy of Cracking the Coding, <laughs> coding Interview, uh, went through that with some of my, uh, uh, the members of my team, and we basically did a bunch of mock interviews. Honestly, this, this is when I really started brushing up my data structures and like, what is a doubly linked list? <laughs> what, is a, what is a graph? What is depth for search? All these, all these things I had just studied and studied and studied and studied. And I interviewed at this one company. They were like, yes, this is great. Here's an offer. And I looked at the offer. I was like, that with no equity or, or any, anything else, really. And I don't really see a good future for you. Uh, it, the company wasn't in a good place. Uh, they weren't. It, I, I could tell it was going to be another chef steps, and I would be out of a job yeah, in a year from now. Especially you had just gotten laid off from a startup that lost funding. That would be stressful, and you want to go to something more stable. Totally get that. Yeah, and so, but but I had something very very powerful, which is an offer. Yeah, and I I use that to short circuit the whole Amazon interview process. Told the recruiter, hey, I have. I I, I used Hired. That's how Hired dot com is what I use, and that's how. The internal Amazon recruiter got in contact with me, nice. and told him, "Hey, I I have an offer. I need we need we need to come to a decision. Uh, you know, within the next couple of weeks. This is my deadline." And surprisingly, they were able to accommodate. They really accommodated. It, it was extremely quick. They they scheduled a phone interview. I damn, I that's luckily, the hot tip of the episode. Like if you're looking for a job, leverage an offer to another. I mean, don't be a dick about it, which you weren't at all, but mm. you really did have an offer and you really were considering it. And so that totally, and you're so right, like that is so something that pushed you through the Amazon interview process, which I've heard for some people can be um, six months, a year to be able to get through the Amazon yeah. hiring pipeline. And so you being able to leverage that and be like, hey, you know, I really need a firm answer here, here. Having the skills and a solid resume, of course, all are things that are so important but also having an offer was so much easier to leverage it at, at that time and kind of short circuit that process. Totally. That's super interesting. Totally. And it also, there were, there were some other benefits that I'll get into in a little bit, but so I had this offer and I, I think I had been talking with the recruiter for about a week and they were basically able to, I, I went from like a week of conversation to getting that offer to getting an offer from Amazon in like two weeks from there. So they, they really sped up the process and were able to accommodate. And I actually asked them if they could, you know, uh, interview interview me a little earlier. Not even because I uh, and just another another tip is if, if a company gives you an offer and, and they give you this a deadline of like a, a a week to get back or two weeks, you can you can expand that. You can stretch that in most cases. This doesn't always apply, but most of the time you I, I had a friend who had an offer from Apple and they said, hey, you got to get back to us in a week. And he ended up expanding that into like I think a month and a half. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And he still ended up getting the job at Apple. So do the interview. And I, I, I did something which I think was really, really helpful for me is I asked my former colleagues, uh, give me a list. Tell me, tell me all the things that I worked about here because all I can remember <laughs> are the last two things I worked on <laughs> and whatever I had on my resume. So I end up making this list of features and they help me out and it ends up being a lot of stuff. So I just go ahead and write this in, this is like the day, the day of, I was in a coffee shop just preparing and just rushing, very stressed out. 
in my little notebook, I put in a list of all the projects that I had done. And this actually became extremely useful for the behavioral questions. So when they asked me, hey, could you tell me about a time where you disagreed with someone on something mm. or, you know, this and that. So I'd go ahead and I'd go through my, I'd go through my book um, and I made sure that they could see it a little bit too, see the like long list of, <laughs> you know, projects that I've, that I've done. And I went through those and that was, a, it was a great way to help kickstart a idea and make sure my mind just didn't go blank during yeah the, that's during really thing. cool to have that kind of list of the well of experience to pull from to be able to give that context of those that specific thing that's that's incredible and so it was that combination of things that led you all the way to amazon now you've been there about three weeks was there any kind of like final details about that amazon interview process that you feel like could help others out there trying to get a job at a place like that yeah so I, i'd say during the during the algorithm questions um I'm going to talk about algorithm. I'm going to talk about system design a little bit. During the algorithm questions, I, throughout the whole time, I felt like I was constantly a little behind and I just like wasn't clicking. And that was because they were asking me really hard questions. <laughs> and so I could have just shut down and been like, oh man, like I just, I'm not going to make it. But I, I just, I kept on, even though I didn't understand it, I made sure to help like break down what they were talking about. And I ended up the the interviewer had to explain like the whole whole problem and what the solution would look like and we finally got to a, a solution with nothing nothing on the whiteboard no no code at least on the whiteboard up until the last five minutes wow and so he said like we have five minutes do you want to do you want to tap out do you want to do this <laughs> do you have enough time and I was like no I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna code this right now so I just frantically am writing these functions and you know all all this all this code. And it ended up being mostly right. So nice. So uh, what what I would say is just don't don't give up. Don't right. Don't give up. Your interviewers will help you out. Just ask for help when you when you need it, and don't be afraid to do stuff in the the very last minute. Mm. Man, I couldn't imagine like an algorithm interview at an Amazon. I would <laughs> fail. I'll just say that straight up. Like my technical skills are not at a level to be able to pass that type of a like curated, like deep development in that way. Like it's not what I've focused on in my career. Like I've kept, I do a Me lot neither. of software development and I take the craft very seriously, but like algorithmic efficiency is not something that I worry about or think about ever. <laughs> Cracking the coding interview and leak code. That's all I'll say. Those are the two resources for you. Cool. And I wanted to kind of pivot a bit to JP because we heard a bit about you, like your early days, but like you are at an A-list startup right now at Open Door. I would very much consider them to be an A-list startup. And I was just wondering how you landed that job from working at WizTutor. And I'd like to kind of, I would love to hear kind of your interview tips, prep, like the way that you got the job as far as networking and how that landed. Because I feel like it's so helpful to hear John's context of how he got into Amazon, but I would love to kind of hear your experience with Open Door and if there's any similarities and if there's other tips or takeaways that you could have. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. For the longest time, I, I would ask myself, like, how the fuck did I get this job even? I have, I literally have no <laughs> idea. Like, what did they see in me that they didn't see in like other candidates that I've tried to refer and and they just like didn't have it? Like, what's the secret sauce? And now having been on the other side, having interviewed other candidates and then extending offers, I, I sort of get it. And I think I just, I, I think I said the, the right things at the right times. But I, I also think that there are some similarities to some of John's takeaways, which is that like, we look for like entrepreneurs. And I think having that experience with, with Tutor and being able to talk about like the domain problems 
that that we were able to mm -hmm. to solve really helped me out and especially just like talking about like user empathy and the product and and not yeah. really focusing yeah. on you know shortest path algorithms and all this and like no one really cares about that sure it's like cool to, to be able to do things like that but i'm not working at uber and like if you can focus on on problems that you've solved and and the ways in which you've talked to like stakeholders and uh, collaborated with designers and collaborated with other engineers and how you were able to provide user value today, that's sort of I feel like the pitch that I gave to my current boss, and I think that resonated with him and and the company. Now that's not to say that I didn't have like three rounds of technical interviews that I had to like really study for. I did have that as well, but having been on the other side, I think. I think there's equal weight with with who you are as like an entrepreneur. Now, I'm not saying that like everyone has to like go do their own startup before they get a job at Amazon or or Open Door or Facebook or or whatever it is. However, I do think that there's there is value in 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 understanding what you're building, right? Because like you can be good at data structures and algorithms all you want, but unless you're going to become like a professor uh teaching those things like there right. you don't like only need to know that there's so many other things that can make you a well-rounded engineer and and i think that's what really got my foot in the door which yeah. i think is really cool I, I also wanted to talk about like not giving up for a second because i, I <laughs> oh, well I, I was on the other side of an interview recently where i was i was we were interviewing this guy and it really seemed like he was beating around the bush because we wanted there was this there was like a, a very important detail of this algorithm and just constantly asking him like trying to nudge him to like give the answer for that and it was like i don't know if he was stalling or if it was just so easy that he didn't it, it wasn't like a big deal which is why he kept putting it off but at the last second he was like okay and i'll just do this really quick and then so he like wrote the algorithm in the literally literally we were over time uh, but he's like i just want to give something for you give something to you so you can see something so that i can have like a deliverable so he like wrote the algorithm algorithm out really quick and i was like oh okay so maybe he was either just nervous or like <laughs> maybe it clicked at the very last second or maybe he just knew it the whole time either way that box was was ticked and mm -hmm. so it's like i guess i guess the point is that like you can salvage um what you think is potentially not going well but it was like that on top of him like going through and speaking like through the problem and trying to solve it that i think was like the whole package of that was what ultimately led to like a good, a positive interview experience for him, which I just think is interesting because like in the moment, yeah. in the moment as at in his shoes or in your shoes, John was, it was probably just like, I'm failing. I'm totally fucking this whole thing up right, right now and there's nothing yeah. I can do to save it. But and turns out there is. Totally. And I think there's a really good point that you made JP, which is like he put something on the board and that's same with you, John, in your interview with Amazon. Mm -hmm. Like you just started writing functions. You weren't a hundred percent sure it was the right solution when you started. And I like I've done a lot of interviews and I've hired a lot of developers who work with me now. And and I know that when I'm doing like a technical review with someone, the worst case is that they don't put anything on the screen. Yeah. Putting the wrong answer on the screen is really fine. Like oftentimes you have to explore a wrong answer to get to a right answer. And as long as I you do that all the time. It, 
Exactly. And that's how life. development works. Like literally day to day, I'll write something and realize it's the wrong direction. So as long as you tell your interviewee, like, I'm not sure this is right, but I'm going to get something on the board to start working this problem. Yeah. An interviewer wants to know that you have the confidence to use the tools you have to work the problem on the board. Absolutely. Get something up there. And if you put nothing up there, all it shows is that you're going to be someone who can't take initiative, who's too fearful to own your craft. Mm. If you're willing to own a wrong answer, at least you're willing to own it and there's something to talk about. Absolutely. If you put nothing on the board in a technical interview or put nothing on the screen, there's nothing to talk about to even know if you go the right, wrong direction. I had someone doing an interview with me and we're doing pair programming on a Ruby problem and they wrote a JavaScript function in the Ruby file. I didn't care. I didn't care <laughs> because the function served the purpose it needed to serve yeah. and it made sense within the logic and whatever, fuck the syntax. We'll figure it out. I just need to know that like you can begin to break down this problem. And yeah. like, and I think at the time he probably thought like, oh, I just fucked up so bad because I wrote JavaScript in a Ruby file. But it's like, I do that all the time. We're switching between stuff. Like it's more about starting to solve problems and moving forward. And it sounds like for yeah. both of you guys in those interview processes, it was a lot about just having the confidence to be in the room, have the conversation and own the pieces you do know and be honest about that. But I want to talk real quick about one thing, which is like the balance between practical experience and practical things like personal development, project management, um, empathy, and technical. So like really having ownership of your craft as a software mm -hmm. developer. I would just want to kind of ping off you guys because in my role as being freelance, it sways way the other way. Like practical business acumen and practical sales and project management is way more valuable to me day to day in closing deals and getting good contracts than is the technical side, like algorithmic mm -hmm. efficiency and writing great functions on all these things. So for me, it's probably like 70-30. Like the way that I invest in my craft as a software developer is maybe 30% of what I do day to day. But 70% of what I do day to day is project management, interpersonal relationships, sales, yeah. all those other things. So I was wondering for you guys, very different role, not being kind of freelance, where would you feel like that split is? And what would you recommend a new developer focus on? Because I feel like a lot of new developers go 80, 90% only on code, 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 code. And then they forget about all these other aspects of delivering practical value and project management and ownership. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I definitely have a lot of thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I could, that could probably be its own episode, honestly. <laughs> for me, working at Chef Steps, I think I, it, it was somewhere or at least towards the end, just for a bit of context, at the beginning of the like last year I was there, I everyone else left. Everyone left. They were burnt out. And so it was just me, and we were bringing people on board, and eventually it was like a team of four. So I ended up kind of getting to become this, this team lead. And so a lot of it, like, it really forced me to grow in terms of those, those aspects, not just coding, but product project management, interpersonal connections, cross-team communication, all, all those sorts of things. And I'd say that, that that is super, super important. I, I'd say for me, it was like 60% uh, interpersonal, mm. quote unquote, soft skills. Soft skills, yeah. Um, and then 40% coding. But it, it really depends. And a lot of the times, especially when you're in a position of experience or um, when you're bringing people on board, a lot of your time is spent just helping other developers get on board, answering yeah. questions for them and, and mentoring as Code well. Review, leading other devs, yeah. I, and I think it's just in general in our industry, new people entering don't realize how important soft skills are. I think it's, that people think- super important. What about you, JP? Like as far as soft skills, practical skills versus like deep technical knowledge, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, 
I think I think it depends on the company that you work at. Like let's say let's say you're at a company mm. where all you really need to do is like crank out some code. Then I think in that scenario you can you can just like focus on on solving interesting technical problems. So I guess that's like the caveat I wanted to to mention before before yeah, before giving my opinion because I don't think everyone works at like a place where where it's like really product driven and it, it matters to talk to different stakeholders and to like have a good community uh, like a good a good relationship with your product manager and like people in other departments so yeah I, I don't know i think it's an even split like you have to be good at the technical stuff and you have to be good at talking to people and understanding what their needs are and really stepping back and 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 thinking like what's this pull request actually accomplishing in the context of like the business so like what problem are we actually solving is it like a refactor that that doesn't even like really affect the business at all and, and is only there because like i wanted to refactor some code or is it like hey this is actually a big thing that like will impact users in a positive way i think one thing i didn't really realize before before this job was that so many decisions can be made based off of like analytics and oh yeah absolutely. and it's like I'd, I've never been at a place that cared so much about like analytics and, and like and metrics of things. And which is great because now you can make decisions based off of like a couple graphs. Now, obviously, that's like a, a gross oversimplification <laughs> of things, but yeah. you can at least like look at numbers and and decide like, hey, this this is going to be what's important for this sprint. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I think that's what caught me by surprise the most. Now to actually I think that I think that adequately answers your question. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So I want to kind of pivot the conversation from like these kind of anecdotal experiences or stories. I want to do like a lightning round. So I want to try to use this last half of this uh, right. episode here to try to blow through some what I feel like are solid questions about career development and, and tools and just in general developing your career. So question one, and let's just kind of go around and try to keep answers nice and quick and concise and kind of talk through them from there. So number one is what's been a key practice or tool in moving your career forward consistently? I'll throw that one out there. Oh crap. This is a lightning round. <laughs> keep practice or tool. <laughs> Like I'll start. Okay. I feel like just consistency. So keeping okay. up with friendships and networking has really served me a long way. Blogging, like always trying to document things that I'm working on and just always pushing outside my comfort zone, like doing my best to not be the smartest person in the room, be kind of punching mm -hmm. above my weight and taking on projects that I'm not a hundred percent confident with. Like I have some doubt whether or not I can actually execute it. That's I think some few things that have really served me well in, in moving my career forward. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I think learning to read code, especially like code reviews mm. and like really understanding and being able to trace other people's code is a really important skill that I try to practice more and more of. And also aside from reading code, I, I think the fundamentals, which I think is like said on way too many podcasts, but I think it goes without saying that like your computer science fundamentals help help you analyze things in such a way that like you have the confidence to dive into anything you need to do. I feel like I'm like a little behind on the JavaScript trends, but I think it's fine because like if I need to dive into to something new, it's like not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would say that I, I agree with one one thing that I think John also had said was regarding always being outside of your comfort zone. That that has been I think by far one of the things that has helped me the most is constantly being in a position of, oh, I don't know if I could do this. Like this is <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> always, always doing things, never, never settling or saying, you know, no, this isn't my job. I'm gonna just focus on the, the code here. Always, always trying to do more and understand more and get a deeper context for the business, for the customer. All of those things are 
are super important. Um, one realization that, that I've, I've had in the last, um, just throughout my career, I guess, is that, um, and, and this depends, I think maybe this applies more to the kinds of people that are more like analytically minded and less people oriented naturally, is that we don't live in a world of code. We live in a world of people. And if you want to get things done, if you want to be able to move effectively, at the end of the day, regardless of what the process or what the, what the tech stack is, you need to learn how to interact with people and have, learn, how, learn how to get people to like you, learn how to like other people, learn how to communicate effectively, you know, get, get to know them. This is, it, it's a world of people. So yeah, that's a really good point. That. I love that. All right. Next lightning round question. How do you get a good job in tech? So this is the elevator answer of what that looks like. So I would say number one is networking, maintaining friendships and relationships as with as many people as possible, making your work visible. So blogging about your work and experience is really important. I have landed several of my best clients from random blog posts that I thought no one would be interested in. I literally, my, my, my most recent best client, I feel like I'm like so excited about this project and so ready to work with it is from some random blog post I wrote in 2016 that barely anyone has read. But one of the key people that read it would just happen to be perfect in alignment with that blog post and literally hired me from a phone call off of wow. that blog post. So wow, that's, that's how amazing. the introductions happen. And that's probably the third or fourth client key client that I've gotten in my career from random blog posts I've written. So even though I feel like at times it doesn't have the productivity I wish it did, it's crazy how much the long tail of these old blog posts I've written have served me so incredibly well in my career. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'm really going to try to be even more consistent about doing that because I have just gotten great client works and introductions for potential jobs. I've gotten job offers all from introductions from blog posts that I've written that I just kind of have forgotten about now. And sometimes, you know, when you're in the throes of things, you realize like how great that information is. But then when you move away from that, it kind of falls out of your brain. So I'd, I would highly recommend like when you can stop and document some of your journey and your process. And it's it's just huge to be able to make your work more visible. So how to get a good job in tech. Do you guys have any other thoughts? Uh, I'd say persistence. Persistence mm. is very important. Not only in the process, but also just as a developer in general. Yeah. To be to be a good developer, you have to be abnormally persistent in in the face of constantly <laughs> being wrong and getting not getting things right. You Absolutely. you have to be good at that. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd say if you're looking to you know get get a, a traditional job at like Amazon or something, I'd say get the fundamentals down. Be really good at what you do. Get experience on a actual product. Mm -hmm. Not just personal projects, an actual product, if you can. Get your hands something on a product Something that's that, making money from consumers is so important. Yes. Something that more than five people have used where you've dealt with the full life cycle of, of you know, supporting and maintaining and empathizing with those customers. Get experience with that um, if you can. I know it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing. Uh, a lot of things with uh, tech careers, there's this chicken and egg problem where you want to get this job in tech. But if you really want to get that experience, you have to... <laughs> you have to have a job in tech. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's, why I, that's why I'd say I, I would suggest doing a little bit of uh, freelance work if you mm -hmm. can Yeah. Um, to, to be able to get your hands on that. It certainly served me well. Cool. Yeah. I have two things that I, th I think are like the secret sauce, maybe specific to Open Door, but I, I would think can be applied to other companies is one, one, be able to talk about problems you've solved. 
even though that's like a dumb like I would it's like oh talk to me about a problem you've solved but be able to talk about like your projects even if all you do have are personal projects which is like not ideal uh, like be able to talk about them passionately and like what problems you solved and it has to be more than like I followed a tutorial and had to write a, a WebSocket chatbot thing like you know every everyone and their mothers have done that so you know like you need you need something else and two I think do re- like when you're interviewing you should do research on the company and like if you have domain knowledge like flaunt that because every time someone comes in and they're like, yeah, I've, I've like bought and sold houses before. We're like, oh, this, like, I, I forgot everything this guy said, but because he said that, like, I'm already, I'm, I'm, right. I'm super Like interested. if you have specific experience in point. the product that they're building in the domain space, I think that's really key. Like my wife is a nurse and for some reason I keep selling healthcare work and it's like, <laughs> I'm not the nurse, but I think when I bring that up, like they make me, they feel more comfortable that I would be familiar and be able to like operate within the healthcare space. But I think that's really key. JP is like, try to connect something in your experience that links to their domain. That's awesome. So to kind of close out our conversation, I just want to end with this final question of what would you have told yourself three or four years ago? Like what would you have told yourself when you were just, you know, working that job that you didn't love with just kind of the dream about working at a great job in tech? Like if you would have told me five years ago that I'd be running my own agency to the point where I have a very sustainable lifestyle, buying my own home, like loving the work that I do, working Mm. with YC startups. It's like, I wouldn't have believed I would have had that opportunity. I would have been so excited. So But at the same time, I wouldn't have known where to start. So I know for you, JP, it's like you wouldn't have dreamed you'd be working with an A-list startup or or you, John, at Amazon when you were working at Albertson. So what are those things that, um, what's that one piece of advice you would have given yourself three or four years ago? What are those things you would have told yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'll go first, I guess. I think the thing I would tell myself three years ago is that like, like take breaks, like the code (laughs) won't like leave your head. I was like so scared that if I took two days off, I would forget how to like program. So like I would constantly every day try to do a little bit. Now I do think that there's something to say about consistency and persistence and how much that like helped me to get to where I am today. But like you can take a day off, it'll be fine. It's much different than taking like three months off and then like trying to and then having to learn relearn everything again. But I just think that like, you know, be patient, you'll get there is what I would tell myself. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I always say like, I would way rather see someone take an hour a day for a month. So it's a total 30 hours of learning than to try to do like 30 hours straight and learning this stuff. Um, There's something about like small consistency. And the first thing I wrote down is like, I would wish that I would have told myself that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And mm-hmm. I just need consistent, small progress and not feel like I have to like go crazy deep. And yeah, taking healthy breaks between, like you actually learn better that way. I think the other thing is keep stretching yourself outside your comfort zone, like we talked about. But the yeah. main thing I think I would have told myself is focus on less and deeper. Like at the time Mm. I was trying to work with like five different startups and, you know, really go deep on design and go deep on code. And as a result, like I, at the time I got to be kind of a shallow person in a lot of different experiences. This is like five or six years ago. And it wasn't until I decided, okay, I'm going to do a rails dev. I'm going to go deep on this. I'm going to ignore all work, but green filled startups. I'm only going to do brand new startups. Like I'm going to say no to every other client. Even if I've got this paying client who wants me to build this restaurant website, it's like, that's not what I want to build. I'm going to focus very deeply on this thing. And I, I mm. took way too long to focus both on what my tool palette was going to be. It's like what I was going to get good at. And then the types of things that I was going to get work on. And I think that there was a lot of value in focusing and going deep on less things. And so I wish I would have told myself that earlier. What about you, John? I think 
there, there were already a lot of good points that I would say that they're already put out there. So I'm going to try and uh, try and say some things. I feel like I, I need I need to touch on JP's point about yeah. giving yourself a break. Uh, I think when you're just starting out, you're very eager to prove yourself. You want to show the world, hey, I, I can do this. And, you know, if you're not at the right, if you're at a company that has a toxic work culture, which Oof. unfortunately a lot of them do, I was lucky enough to get to be in a company where they're like, you should go home. You should go home. You should relax. Like, it's, it's past five. Like, you go home. But it, it still took me a long time to learn that. And that's, don't, don't, don't over it. I mean, <laughs> I'm giving conflicting advice because on one side I'm saying overextend yourself. But in terms of time, in terms of uh, balance or work-life harmony, don't, don't kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't kill yourself trying to prove yourself. Try and make the most out of the time that you've set for. Try and make that the most efficient rather than just stretching yourself and burning yourself out. I totally agree with that. And I think it's easy to conflate pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone with the types of work you're doing and pushing yourself outside your comfort zone with the amount of work you're doing. And yeah. so I, I think it's easy to be like, well, I work, I focused, you know, 70 hours on code last week. So it's going to be pushing myself forward. But it's like, if all you did was build tac- tic-tac-toe 12 times <laughs> in the last 70 hours, like you probably didn't move your career forward. And so I feel like it's, it's bolder work and in healthy sprints and consistency. But like when you do sit down to work, you're doing things that are really pushing you. So it's yeah. not about like physically pushing yourself as far as hours and what those things look like. It's more about like having the courage um, to really step out into projects you may or may not know. So I, I want to thank both you guys for sharing your journeys. And I hope that this is kind of inspiring and or gives people some good kind of traction in their career. Thank you so much, John, for joining us. Congratulations on your job at Amazon. I want to go ahead and just wrap up the episode and say thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And John Art, where can people find you kind of on the web? Do you have a Twitter handle or? Mm, I actually removed my Twitter because I was spending too much time on it on my phone. <laughs> nice. So I love it. I ended up... <laughs> Um, I think the only way you can get in contact with me right now is via LinkedIn. Uh, oh, okay. so, or GitHub. Going that um, corporate life. <laughs> or, or yeah, maybe GitHub. GitHub doesn't have instant it messaging. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Um, so I'm guessing you have some sort of... Um, I'm just yeah, we can my pop it in the show you. notes. You can just throw it in the doc. Yeah. Yes, I will. I will throw that in there. <laughs> cool. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. As always, if you want to find the show, you can go to iterationpodcast.com and there you can find all the past episodes. You can find a link to me and JP's Twitter and all the notes for this uh, episode. Um, we'll do our best to try to link to some different things and different topics we mentioned in there. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week for starting our new book. Peace. Peace.